Welcome to my MACD life, empowered by the Support Site Foundation. This podcast is about macular degeneration and the devastating impact it has on millions of people and their families every single day, 365 days a year. Our mission is simple, to bring hope, optimism, perspective, and education to our listeners. So tune in, buckle up, and put your listening ears on. Hi, I'm Dawn Prawl, Founder and Executive Director of the Support Site Foundation. My MACD Life, the podcast you're listening to and tuning into right now, is empowered by the Support Site Foundation. We are a voice you can trust. My MACD Life is the first podcast series about how to live your best life with macular degeneration. My MACD Life podcast is generously supported by Regeneron. Hi, I'm David Wolf, and I'm the CEO of Audavita Studios. We're, by the way, uh, the production company for this podcast, My MACD Life. On this segment, we'll explore the profound impact of audiobooks for people living with low vision or macular degeneration or any of the disease of the eye that has caused vision loss. And we'll be looking at all of this from behind the scenes through the lens of uh, both an author and a casting director. And uh, they are uh, Megan Tauk. She's the co-author with William Douglas Horton of Living in a Time of Dying. And we're also here with Matthew Priggi, who's Audavita's lead casting director. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much, David. Good to be here. Thanks, David. Absolutely. Great to be with both of you. So uh, start with uh, Megan. How did you start your writing career? I just wanted to kind of peel back your background and and kind of launch into the conversation that way. Tell us a little bit about what you set out to accomplish with living in a time of dying. Sure. Well, it's it's really William's fault. <laughs> this this book is the beginning of my writing career, and William, for several years, has been kind of pushing me to to write and to put out a book. And it was the fall of late summer of 2020, and we all remember what was going on then. It's still kind of going on now. And he said, you know, let's work on a project together. And we didn't really know what the project was going to be. Uh, we started out just having some conversations and getting our thoughts out there and starting to just put thoughts on paper. Um, And it turned into this book, Living in a Time of Dying, Cries of Grief, Rage, Love, and Hope. We talked about it offline as actually a a hybrid combination of you doing some of the narration. And also, we did some casting with the help of Matt, who's uh, with us today. When you're writing a book like this, do you actually hear the voices of the characters in your own mind's ear? Is that something that you experience while you're writing? Yes. Well, so the way that we wrote it, we really wrote it kind of separately. I wrote my pieces, he wrote his pieces, and then we put them together. And he kind of said, you know what, this is your project now. This is my piece and you run with it. And so I organized his chapters relative to mine and it goes in kind of a back and forth dialectic. He has a chapter, I have a chapter, he has a chapter, I have a chapter. And you know, the way that things, these things work out, it actually flows really beautifully, but we have two very distinct voices. And I really wanted to keep that distinct voice quality in the audiobook. So that's why I am reading um, my own, I'm narrating my own uh, chapters for the book. And then uh, we had Matt bring in someone else to read Williams, because William is not doing that at this point in his life. Matt, let's take it over to you for a minute. So you're a casting director for audiobooks, among other uh, amazing things that you do in your life. 
uh, working with us at Autovita. What are some of the key considerations that you're concerned with when you go to cast any project? Sure. Casting for any project, and I think really in particular for an audiobook, is dependent on the particulars of the project itself, right? If you imagine any of your favorite movies or any of your favorite film actors, you might, for instance, uh, love Robert De Niro in this role. He might not be the right guy for um, this role over here, right? Incredible actor, one of the best of his generation, but he's not always the right guy. So it is a detailed process in terms of figuring out what that particular project needs in terms of tone, in terms of the abilities of the actor, and also in terms of the kind of intangible qualities that an actor possesses and that in our case, a voice possesses. What are sort of the, yeah, the fundamental characteristics that on an almost unconscious level, a voice portrays just through their manner of speaking, their tone, all of those sorts of things. So when we are casting an audiobook for Autovita, we are really trying to personalize that process to the author, trying to get the author's perspective on what they feel is important, what they, how they want their listener to feel while hearing the book, um, what kind of personality they're hoping to get across. And then we kind of put that through our filters of um, speaking to actors, understanding actors' language, and also just knowing a lot of actors out there and kind of knowing their personalities and their vibe, so to speak, and then trying to hunt down the right person for that particular project. Uh, It's very particular from book to book. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, in a very real way, that is the author and the casting director and any ancillary actors are painting a picture, a visual or a, a sound picture, if you like, for someone certainly with low vision or with MACD, who is, um, this is the only way they can experience the content. It's, it's so profoundly important, uh, for them to be able to read in air quotes, right? So we're really providing a way for them to access material that they really couldn't access in any other way. It's, uh, it's so beautiful. My Mac D Life podcast is a national award winner of the STEP program for innovative macular degeneration, patient education, and for demonstrating a commitment to addressing the daily needs of people with age-related macular degeneration. Have you thought about the impact of audiobooks as an author? I mean, is this something that's, before we started talking about it together, is it something that you even thought about? Oh, absolutely. And and that's part of why I've ended up here. <laughs> you know, part of obviously part of why I wanted to do an audiobook is that a lot of people listen. You know, we're in a very like a multitasking society now. And so a lot of people like to listen to podcasts and audiobooks while they're doing other things. But more than that, I think, uh, is the issue of accessibility. And, you know, I'm a philosopher. I'm going to get a little philosophical here, right, if I may. <laughs> yep. I really consider that the realities that we are that are co-creative, we, we co-create reality together and we co-create reality through our perceptions and our perceptual apparatuses. And we co-create reality by our participation with one another in this thing called what we consider the real world, our life experience. And if what we're doing here together on this planet is a project of worlds making, of reality building, and I believe that it is, then, you know, the more people with the more and different perspectives that we can include in that process, the richer and fuller and not only more representative, but 
more iterative and more response-able our world project is going to be. So beautifully said. Oh, my goodness. Matt, have you, in, in the course of working with us, in, in the case of uh, audiobook casting, I mean, have you contemplated the impact that we're making? And, and do you have any reflections about that? You know, just, just as you were saying that, Megan, I was kind of thinking back on the spoken word as opposed to the written word is just about the oldest art form that exists, right? The very beginning of storytelling and communication where people sitting in caves or gathering around fires telling each other ancestral stories that were passed down from generation to generation, right? And I think that there is something profound and, as you said, profoundly accessible about the ability to take that most kind of ancient primeval form of storytelling and bringing it into this new and digital age. Um, I, th I think that's very exciting. Um, it kind of gets back to basics in a way that is really cool. And that also, yeah, kind of removes all different kinds of barriers from people's ability to enjoy these stories and contribute to these stories and interact with these stories. So it really is profound in that way to be sure. Absolutely. So yeah, in all things audio in this day and age, I mean, there is a profound explosion of people listening to audio, even outside of the low vision population, which has been a fascinating thing to watch and observe just as in terms of the market. But then when you, when you superimpose this accessibility piece, this low vision piece and bring in a whole new audience. I mean, I like to say, oh, you'll unlock an audience that wouldn't otherwise experience your content. We're also now unlocking an audience that actually has no choice other than to listen in order to ingest this content. You know, whether you're dealing with nonfiction or fiction, those are different types of problems. Oh, and that reminds me, Matt, I was going to ask you. So yeah. in terms of approaching fiction versus nonfiction, is it, how, how do you differentiate that in terms of how you do your casting thing? Is there a, is there a way to think about that? So I will say that right off the bat, there are different um, skill sets that actors possess. I'm sure that you can imagine how, let's say someone who is narrating a high fantasy novel with a cast of 200 different characters, all of whom are from different regions and have different dialects. That is one very particular skill set that an actor needs to possess. On the other hand, I would say with with nonfiction, and in particular with things that come from a personal perspective, an autobiographical perspective, or kind of a memoir place, we are often trying to not necessarily find someone who sounds exactly like the author when they're speaking, right. but someone that can capture the essence of the author's personality as it translates onto the page. That's actually something that Megan and I have kind of corresponded a little bit over email in terms of finding the right person to capture the essence of your, of your collaborator. My MACD Life podcast is generously supported by Regeneron. You know, I love that. And, you know, as you were speaking about that, it struck me that because folks with low vision uh, or symptoms of eye disease, MACD, uh, and what have you, are unable to get visual cues from people in the world in the ways that m many of the rest of us can, the animation of the voice, uh, and the actors are good at this. We've all seen, I think, behind-the-scenes footage of people that do animated voices 
carrying on visually in order to channel that energy into mm-hmm. their voice to help them channel it. I mean, it seems to me that, that that's the, the work of a great narrator is to, to take what could be visual and channel it into a, a, this focused vocal thing into a microphone so that it can hit the ear and actually create a visualization in some way or, or a deeper understanding of character's motivation or, or emotion. Uh, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, um, it's one of a, one of a great actor's superpowers is the ability to communicate an image and make it come to life in your own mind. Right. And that's something that any great storyteller can do, but it's hard to teach it. It's, it's one of those things that when you find an actor who's capable of it, that's really what you're looking for, for an audiobook in particular, I think the ability to take sights, sounds and implant them in the listener's head so that they can then visualize, hear, uh, smell all of the things that are being described. It's a pretty powerful thing, for sure. So I know in some instances, Matt, we we are faced with having to cast a single narrator for multiple parts. Um, talk a little bit about, about how you approach that and what are some of the challenges that narrators might be facing and, and how far should they go? I mean, there's some parameters there, aren't there? Right, yeah. There are a lot of, I would say, stylistic parameters there, depending on the genre of the book that we're working with. I I, th- I think a good rule of thumb is that we are always aiming, if, if we are having one narrator who's narrating the entire book, let's say, but they're going to have to cover a wide breadth of different characters, we are first going to think about who is the central character in the piece and what is the perspective of the narrator. So an obvious example would be a if we have a fictional story that is told from a first person perspective, our first priority is going to be to find a narrator who reflects the likely vocal type of that first person narrator. If the story is narrated by a 10-year-old girl from Massachusetts, let's say, um, it's kind of a specific example, but you know, um, that would guide our choice in terms of what actor should then encompass all of these other roles. And it does create some interesting uh, challenges and opportunities where, let's say we have a novel where the protagonist and the narrator is a 40-year-old man that's described as having kind of a deep baritone voice. How does that actor then tackle voicing that man's five-year-old daughter? Right. And that can create some really interesting creative challenges and also opportunities. So that I would say is one approach that we would use in these instances, which is to find an actor that, yeah, captures the most important character and then build out from there. The other approach, which I guess we could describe as sort of the radio play approach, would be to gather a small cast of actors and divvy up the roles such that all women over 20 are voiced by this actor here, and et cetera, et cetera, to kind of build out the cast. It creates yeah. a different feeling for the listener's experience, as I kind of described, more of a, p- perhaps more of a radio play feel, as opposed to that feeling of someone intimately reading you a story. But that's kind of a stylistic choice, and it does create, on kind of a case-by-case basis with these different books, some exciting opportunities to kind of, um, to to interpret the text and to find some interesting ways to bring it to life. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, no. And Megan, you had some uh, insights as well, didn't you, about this? Well, uh, you know, our book has really two characters, myself and William, as we are the two narrators of our kind of own chapters in the book. And so, of course, I have been narrating my own sections, um, and we've been trying to find somebody to narrate his. And 
uh, you know, Matt has sent me a bunch of auditions and some of them were just clearly not. There was one who was really very a beautiful reader, had a beautiful voice, clearly very um, talented at voice acting, but he was British and William is from Iowa, you know, so um, it just was not going to work for the for for this story. And so, you know, I also have been thinking as I've been listening to different voice actors about the experience of sitting with William and who I know William to be. And I knew that if I was trying to find somebody who sounded like William, I would never find an actor that would match that, right? But so I'm trying to find the quality. And in my experience of of knowing William and sitting with him, I, I think about the elements. And I think, you know, I am... I am, have the quality of a, a warm, cackling fire. Sometimes it's a bit raging. Sometimes it's cheery and warm. It can, it can range. William has more of the quality of uh, a, a, a stream, a babbling brook. It's a little slower. It's a little quieter. It's a little bit more meditative. And so looking for that quality to juxtapose to my more fiery quality for the listener's experience, I think, is, is one of the things that I've been going for. My MacD Life podcast is brought to you in part by Centric Bank, Healthy Vision Association, Hinkle Stein and Associates, Navaris, Regeneron, Visparo, and from anonymous donors. So fascinating. I love that contrast. Yeah, and, and that actually speaks to one of the aspects of this process that can be so fun in kind of an iterative way is the process of, you know, the author providing their input to us, the casting team, about what they're picturing. We go out into the world based on where we, what actors we know that might be a good fit and bring back an initial set of selections. And that allows us to kind of step by step, what I would describe as get our ears on the same page, right? To make sure that we are both hearing the same thing. Um, and it can be a really fun and kind of exploratory process to, you know, go back to Megan or to whoever the author might be and go, hey, here's a few. Tell, tell me what you think and what you tell me will inform uh, the next batch that I go out and find. It's an organic process and it can be a lot of fun. Megan, as an author, are there instances where something you write reads really well, but it may not sound well if it's read from an audio perspective? Absolutely. And that may speak more to me as a writer. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm queen of, of long sentences. I, I learned a lot from, <laughs> from from James Baldwin, who is famous for using commas and uh, the, the M dash and just making it work, um, which can be read, but spoken, it can get very clunky. And as a reader, as a narrator, I can get lost in my own sentence. Um, so yeah, I did. I had to go back uh, through the book and change little things, you know, some sentence here, some word there, just to make it flow a little bit better and just to feel more uh, relatable. Because I think sometimes, particularly, you know, I, I write fairly abstract philosophical stuff a lot of the time, and it can feel very abstract and philosophical. And, and, and it just doesn't hit quite the right way to the, to the ears and to the felt emotional aesthetic experience. I think as a writer so far, maybe this will change since I've now done an audiobook. I might actually start to think about audio as I'm writing. But I didn't for this first book. Um, and it was a learning experience for sure. One thing that we talked about is uh, the fact that your co-author, William Douglas Horton, actually has a recent diagnosis with macular degeneration, doesn't he? Yes, he he uh, he was diagnosed, I think, in January or February of this year. So it's it's a really recent diagnosis. And um, 
and what he has, you know, he's in his early 70s at this point. And so I think and, and apparently his, his mom also had this condition and, and refused treatment and, event, and basically went functionally blind. He has what is known as wet macular degeneration, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with. Um, and he is, you know, receiving regular injections, which, um, to my understanding, will halt the progression of the degeneration, but it's not going to get any better. So he has some vision loss at this point. And, you know, he's been a prolific writer for quite a long time. Um, for, for any listeners who want to look him up, he's got many, many books out on uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And particularly in his old age, I think he's just been, and and during the pandemic, just just pumping these books out. He's taking everything that's in him, the, his 70 years of experience, and he is a, uh, a Taoist Toltec I Ching master. He has amazing uh, wisdom and stories to impart. And so he's basically been trying to put this down in the written word. And it's really changed his relationship to both reading and to his ability to write. And if it would be okay, he wrote a piece. Uh, he wrote something to me. And since he's not able to be here, I'd love to read it uh, for you. Absolutely. Oh, let's do it. He says, this is William Douglas Horton. He says, as a writer, I have long been fascinated by the difference between the written and spoken word. From my perspective, the written word allows the reader to linger over sentences, to double back and reread, and engage the writer's thoughts in their own way, in their own time. But language is far older than the written word. Its origins harken back to the first utterances of people seeking to communicate with one another by speaking their thoughts and intentions out loud. The first societies everywhere developed the custom of storytelling, as Matt was speaking about earlier, making use of the spoken word to carry their listeners along with them as they recounted their common myths and shared memories. The spoken word, then, has come to remind me of a deeper commonality that we all share, a real-time communication that flows like water, as opposed to the static, fixed form of the written word. It is an interesting transition in my relationship to language and affects the way I write, which tends now more toward the poetic, spoken form of shared experience, made more concrete by hearing words spoken aloud by another human being. And I think this really speaks not only to Matt's point about the history of storytelling, but to the, I, I think I would call it a more aesthetic experience in the listening experience. You know, going through the process of recording my audiobook. I think that even for people who have read it, listening will be a different experience. It will be a more embodied experience. It will be a more emotional experience. It will be a more human experience. It's not as um, analytic and, and linear. There's a whole different experience, I think, to hearing and feeling that intimacy with the narrator. My MACD Life podcast is generously supported by Regeneron. You know, I often talk about intimacy when we're talking to authors about, or even podcasters when we produce podcasts, about the intimacy of audio and the fact that you're really speaking to an audience of one, you know, in, in a very real way. It's it's very different than addressing a, a group of people in a large room, of course, and performing that way. It's a very, uh, it's a very one-to-one -one kind of experience. So, uh, and, and boy, that writing, uh, from William, so beautiful. Please, uh, thank him for us. William Douglas Horton. You can find, uh, uh, the works of William, uh, wherever fine books are sold online, of course, and, and elsewhere. Um, you also reminded me and sort of triggered this idea that, uh, or he said it actually in his writing that, 
when we're reading, we do have the ability to sort of retrace and, and go at our own pace and stop and contemplate and then look back at the page. But among other things that you've pointed out, it's also true that it's kind of like this flow of language that's happening. And yes, there's a pause button, but I don't know the how inclined we are to use that pause button or, re or replay something we just heard. That's a very different thing than looking away from a page and then rereading a paragraph or a line, isn't it? Yeah, it is very different. You know, I, I'm a big, I'm a very visual person and I read a lot. I read a lot of, of nonfiction and I do a lot of research and reading to me is very useful for research because I get, I access more that like left analytical side of my brain. I can take margin notes, things like that. Right. Um, you know, that has the, it's, it's function. And yet there is this other experience when listening. You know, there's something about reading too that's very lonely. <laughs> and and yeah. almost disembodied, you know, I can almost become like just this like ginormous brain taking in all this information and I'm alone in a room by myself. Whereas when I'm listening to a podcast or listening to an audiobook, I don't feel alone. And it feel like I can be I can be exercising, I can be working in the garden, I can be making art, I can be in my body in ways that I can't be when I'm just sitting with a book in my hand, you know? So fascinating. Yeah. I want to remind our listeners we're visiting with Megan Tauk. She's the co-author with William Douglas Horton, the authors of Living in a Time of Dying. Also joining us is Matthew Pridgey. He's our lead casting director at Autovita. So another thing that I was thinking about in preparing to, to be on this podcast, and I sort of alluded to it in my discussion of accessibility and, and worlds making, right, is really, and I kind of want to underscore how... You know, I think it's unfortunate that we often think about, you know, vision loss or disability as a disability. Um, and yes, there are struggles that people have. I don't want to discount that at all. And there are, there are losses. And I think one of the things that we write about in the book, Living in a Time of Dying, is how to be with the experience of, of loss and suffering and pain. So not to discount that at all, but just to also underline how different ways of perceiving, because our abilities are different, actually creates different ways of knowing and different ways of participating with the world, brings different gifts to this world project that we're, that we're building together. And I just, I really want to underscore that because I imagine that many of your listeners may be struggling with, you know, a change in their vision or a diagnosis that feels scary. And all of that is so real and true and important. And just to acknowledge that there is more than what we think it has to be. And that I personally really value those other ways of knowing and those other gifts that are brought through the myriad ways of perceiving and participating together in this world. And I, you know, I, I want to invite as many people into the conversation because I think that particularly right now, it's very crucial. We really need all hands on deck as the, as at this moment in the human project. So well said. Thank you, Megan. I think that's a great note to end on for this segment. Um, I want to thank you both for being with us. Megan Tuck, co-author with William Douglas Horton. The book is Living in a Time of Dying. And Matthew Pridgey, our lead casting director at Autovita. Thank you both for joining us on the program. Thank you so much for having us, David. Thanks, David. 
Thanks for being with us on My MACD Life, the podcast with a vision to bring hope, optimism, perspective, and education to our listeners. For more information and many great, incredible resources, visit MyMACDLife.org. This program is supported by amazing listeners like you. Please consider a donation to keep our mission moving forward. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, keep living with hope. My MACD Life podcast is generously supported by Regeneron.